want to be overcomers. Hopefully all of you, because that's what God says. He says about those who are overcomers get to sit with him in his throne. What a moment that's going to be. Amen. What a powerful, powerful moment. Ready for the word? Let's stand together and look at 2 Samuel chapter number 5. 2 Samuel chapter number 5. It says in verse 6, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. The inhabitants of the land who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Father, I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that he is the one who, who oversees and leads and directs the body of Christ. I thank you. You can manifest in ways by revelation to teach us truths that transform us. So take the word, Holy Spirit, that you have inspired. Take the word that you moved on men to write and help us now to take it as our own, to receive it and apply it in ways that make us, right out of the Bible characters, overcomers, Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. goes on to say in verse number 8 of that same chapter, On the day of the attack, David said to his troops, I hate those lame and blind Jebusites. Whoever attacks them should strike by going into the city through the water tunnel. That is the origin of the saying, The blind and the lame may not enter the house. So David made the fortress his home. And he called it the city of David. He extended the city, starting at the supporting terraces and working inward. And David became more and more powerful because the Lord God of heaven's armies was with him. Man, praise God. What a story. Because this tells us the origin and the roots of the city of Jerusalem. When we first hear about this city, this is a city that was ruled, constructed by, and ruled by the Jebusites. In this story, we see how it was taken by the people of God. Jerusalem has an eternal purpose in the plan of God. Always has and always will. So much so that there will be a new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. When you go to the holy city and you step out of the vehicle for the first time on the soil of the city of Jerusalem... I don't know about you, but this is what happened to me. I knew I was in a moment, a conflagration of history and future all coming together right now. Everything that has ever happened to direct the plan of God for the human race happened around the city of Jerusalem. Anything that's going to conclude all matters related to the human race will happen around the city of Jerusalem. And you feel that. You are standing in the middle of history and future coming together in one place. It is a feeling like no other. David and Jerusalem are tied together. David is spoken of, spoken of about 600 times in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he's spoken of about 60 times. There was a time in the history of Israel when there was a division between the 12 tribes of Israel. There were northern tribes and southern tribes. 
And there were battles and skirmishes between the northern tribes and southern tribes. And they began to live separately, their own leadership, own policies, divided families. Some of the kings were extremely corrupt and godless and turned themselves toward idols. And some made, some from the north made Samaria their capital. And they had nothing to do with the southern tribes. And a split began to occur among God's people. The southern tribes made Hebron their capital. David was made the king of the southern tribes. And God made it very clear in his word, David was to be the king of a united Israel, not a divided Israel. Located between a divided Israel, a DMZ, demilitarized zone, was the city of the Jebusites, right between the north and the south. It was located on an elevated mountain. It was rocky terrain, and it still is. The Jebusites built walls around their city, and it was very well fortified. Their sentinels could see for miles. Anybody trying to approach the city, they'd spot them in a heartbeat. And the reputation of the Jebusites, no one's going to take their city. Their reputation, they were fierce fighters, defenders. The city of the Jebusites was located right between a divided Israel. So here's an incoming text for all of you. When we are divided, the enemy can set up a stronghold. The enemy loves to divide families. He seeks to divide the body of Christ. And if the enemy can divide us, he gets to set up a stronghold. Strongholds keep us from the high places God has called us to. And when Israel was divided, they could not conquer that city. But David senses this urging in his heart. He knows it's the will of God that Israel be united. So he sends a letter out to the northern tribes as well as the southern tribes. And somehow the hearts of Israeli people, once divided, said, let's unite together. Let's come back together. And the people united. And when they did, they realized that right in the middle of their territory was what should be the capital city of Israel. The problem, the Jebusites owned and controlled it. And what's so intriguing in this story, David is the king of Hebron. He could have settled. He could have remained there contentedly. I mean, he had everything at his fingertips. He could have thought, I've journeyed many years. I've fought a whole lot of battles and adversaries and Philistines and giants. And I mean, I ought to be satisfied. I should remain in this comfortable city. I'm good where I am. I don't need to fight any more battles. I've proven who I am. But something was unsettled in David's heart. And as he moved within, as he was moved within by the Spirit of God and pushed in the direction, watch what happens. He knew something greater still was ahead for him. There was something greater ahead than just Hebron, as nice as it was. There was to be the city of David. And something within David was calling him to higher ground. The dream God placed in David remained unfulfilled. God's not through blessing and favoring your life. You haven't arrived at your final destination. And there was a voice speaking into the heart of David. The voice goes all the way back to David's youth. Because when he was 17 years old, he encountered the giant Goliath. 
And David was not called just to be the king of Israel. He also had prophetic giftings, and he had worship giftings. And when David killed Goliath, the word tells us that David picks up the head of Goliath and carries it from the valley of Elah to the city of the Jebusites. It's all in 1 Samuel 17. David did not keep the head of Goliath as a trophy. David took it to a specific spot and community. He took it to the city of the Jebusites, and outside the city walls, he buried it. The prophetic statement, there will come a day, I will return to this city, and the same God who gave me Goliath, as I plant his remains here, I will return to take this city for God, for God has given it to me. Years now and decades have passed. David is the king in Hebron, and he should be satisfied. Others around him would tell him, calm down, you're good. David feels once again the stirring in his heart as he remembers the day when he picked up the head of the giant and ran 18 miles and buried it, making a specific prophetic statement. David remembered it, and it moved him to action. The city of the Jebusites was a stronghold. The word stronghold means seat of authority. The city of the Jebusites was the legend of ghost stories, the power of their forces. The city was impenetrable. There was mystique about the city of the Jebusites. No one could imagine overtaking and conquering this city. And they would host shows on the tops of the walls to intimidate all those neighbors around them. The Jebusites had a reputation. Generations understood their strength of forces and the fortifications built around the city. And in the context of the city, the word mentions three times the blind and the lame. And why? And you kind of do some searching in the rabbis from old who document the history of Israel's history. The Jewish rabbis teach that this phrase was used to rub salt into the wounds of the Israelites. The blind and the lame was a derogatory statement. The city had very high walls. The Jebusites would create these very huge, large, stuffed dummies, and they would attach them to pulleys. And at night, with torches illuminating the walls, they would pull these dummies across the tops of the walls. With the light coming up from underneath, it was very spooky, ghostly, mystique. And the observers would see these dummies moving gigantic-sized dummies, the tops of these walls, some depicting the blind, unsure of their steps, looking to where they were supposed to go, and others lame, stumbling along and not walking properly. And the purpose, the Jebusites were taunting their, their adversaries, mocking the Israelites who lived just to the north and the south of their city because the blind man was representative of Isaac in his old age. He had lost his vision And because of it, he was being tricked by Jacob, one of his sons. And Jacob knew his father couldn't see, so he puts goat's hair on his arms to trick his father into believing that he's the firstborn son, Esau. So Isaac, in his blindness, gives the birthright that belonged to Esau to Jacob instead. And the Jebusites had a blind dummy, several of them on pulleys, and they would pull him across the tops of the walls to mock the Israelites. Your forefather Isaac was a blind man. 
On the north wall, they mocked the northern tribes. And, and that dummy on pulleys was lame and stumbled across the top of the wall. And they were mocking Jacob. He had, he had come to limp after his encounter of wrestling with God because the angel of the Lord pulled his leg out of its socket and he was lame for the rest of his days. And the Jebusites mocked the spiritual lineage of Israel. They mocked the weaknesses of Israel's leaders. And the next generation of Israelis would look up at night and they would see this mockery mystically displayed on the tops of the walls of the Jebusite city. And they would see Isaac and they would see Jacob blind and lame. And they would see the weaknesses of their lineage exposed. Psychological warfare is what they were doing. They were saying to the Israelis, your descendants of blind and lame fathers. Listen, so that's all you have. They are blind and they are lame. That's what you come from. You aren't powerful enough to take our city. You don't belong up here on this hill. You descend from the blind and the lame. You will never ascend or in any way attain this kind of a high place. So stop your dreaming. Settle for Hebron. Settle for Samaria. You're okay where you are. Just stay there. Night after night. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. The enemy is a master at flaunting our weaknesses in our face. He's a master of exploiting our failures and our weaknesses. And the enemy will point out the weaknesses of our forefathers. He reminds us of our imperfect heritage, of our past failures. And then he points out our weaknesses and our failures, saying, see, you're just like they were. You will never achieve what you're dreaming of, so just stay where you are. And with psychological warfare, the adversary reminded Israel of the brilliance of the Jebusites, of how smart they were, defeating them in their minds, beating them down mentally, reminding them that Isaac could not take their city. Jacob's generation can never take our city. They were incapable then. You are incapable now. There is no way your generation is going to take our city. No one in your lineage could take this stronghold. And he says to you today, your grandfather was an alcoholic. Your daddy was an alcoholic. You're no different. You're destined to be an alcoholic too. And the enemy will berate you until he causes your faith to be deflated. So you'll question whether or not God has greater things in store for you. And the enemy has your skin hanging on the wall, taunting you, telling you, you're never going to take down that stronghold. So we look at our forefathers at times, and those of us who had people coming before us who set a spiritual pace and set the tone for our, our generation that came along, and we think, if I had half the prayer life of my mother, if I had half the spiritual wisdom of my father, we think that would make us qualified. That's a prayer of false humility. God never intends for you to possess half of what your predecessors had. The biblical prayer you should pray is the prayer of Elisha. Well, pastor, I haven't done much for the Lord. They've done so much more for God. My, aunt, my mom and dad, they were so much, they were greater than Elisha hadn't done major things for God until this point. But in God's kingdom, he had been doing great things. He poured water on the hands of Elijah. 
He served him faithfully. So he said, I want not half of what he has. I want double. I want to perform double what he had in his life. So don't ask for half. I hope I could do half of what my dad did or half of what my mom did. No, I want to do double what they did. That's God's perspective. Double. And God gave David such a vision that he united all of Israel. He was not intimidated by those who had gone before him, who had failures. And when Goliath produced offspring, see, they were not below average height. Giants don't reproduce less than. If Goliath had a child of below average height, Goliath would have had to have a talk with Mrs. Goliath. Giants beget giants. Alaskan huskies don't reproduce toy poodles. Huskies reproduce after their kind. And a generation of giants should not reproduce below average offspring afraid to do mighty things for God. If anybody in your family did something great for God, you're not supposed to do less. You have the DNA faith, the genetic faith your father and your mother had. God's calling you to do greater things than they did in whatever ministry God's called you into. You're designed to go higher, not lower. Believe as you go up, strongholds are coming down. The fight for Jerusalem in our lifetime is very real and still ongoing. After the Holocaust of World War II, the Jewish people were scattered everywhere. It looked like Israel would never be reunited again. A man by the name of David Ben-Gurion, and when you go to Israel, you'll fly into their one airport in Tel Aviv. It's called the David Ben-Gurion Airport. He was prime minister of Israel. When he was 15 years old, he was part of a group who designed the flag for the state of Israel. The Star of David flag was designed before there was the state of Israel. As a teenager, his group, they wrote the national anthem for Israel. And Ben-Gurion began the Zionist movement when he was 20 years old called the Youth Society. And he called it or named it Ezra because Ezra helped rebuild the city of Jerusalem with Nehemiah. And when a rabbi heard Ben-Gurion make a speech in his 20s, He was astounded because the topic, Israel is God's land. That's what he spoke on. It was the promised land given to our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, even though we were decimated by the Holocaust, God will give us our land back and Jerusalem will be our capital one day. And a lot of people thought he was crazy. This guy's out of his mind. As a teen, as a teenager, He helped design the national flag, helped write the national anthem, made speeches that disturbed the status quo. Thank God for people who do that. And when the prominent rabbi heard his speech, he said, if we had 10 more teens like him, Israel would be restored. The toughest battle that Ben-Gurion fought in his life was with his father, Herzl. There was a dissension in the United Nations about giving the Jews any land in the Middle East. 
completely divided. So they decided what we'll do is we'll go to plan B so we can unite. Plan A was for Israel to be given back their land. Plan B was called the Uganda plan. 24,000 acres of land in Uganda would be deeded to the Israelis. It was very fruitful and very fertile. It would be a substitute for the land that they were entitled to in the Middle East. No holy land, no Jerusalem. You go to Uganda. So Herzl Ben-Gurion was tired. He had been through the Holocaust years, the war. He was war-weary. So he said, we should just take the offer. He opposed his son, David. He said, we just need to settle. Let's take what we're given. Let's be thankful we're going to get a land. We've been through so much. Perhaps we can get more land later. But right now, we need a place to go. We need a, a place to settle. And his son said, no, Dad, no. This is not what God promised us. That is not our land. Jerusalem is our city. The land of Abraham is our land. And a huge debate broke out in the United Nations. This is not what we dreamed of. This is not what God promised us. David Ben-Gurion said, we must fight for what is ours. Now it comes down to a vote in the UN. And this young son, Ben-Gurion, goes to the UN and he debated with one of the British leaders, Lord Belford. And Belford said, just take what you can get or you might end up with nothing. So you settle for plan B. You take the Uganda plan. No plan A, no Israel, no Holy Land, no Jerusalem. It's the same offer the devil will bring to you. There's plan B. Just settle for it. Stay put. Don't think too big. Don't have a big dream. Just settle. You've done more than anybody else in your family. Just stay in your place now. Your community likes to remain as they've always been. Let's just settle where we are and not dream and have aspirations beyond this. The Jebusites will show you all of your weaknesses. They will point out everything that's negative in your life, how lame, how blind, how unqualified. No one in your family ever achieved that. Stay away. When you see that, hear that, that is a stronghold. David Ben-Gurion stood, and he made a speech that turned the United Nations. Belford had made his statement. Ben-Gurion stood, and he said, to Belford, would you, sir, trade London for Paris? And Belford said, heavens no. London was ours from the beginning of the British Empire. And Ben-Gurion responded, and Jerusalem was ours when London was a swamp. And something began to shift throughout the United Nations. It was an act of God. And momentum changed, and Israel and Jerusalem were given back to God's people on May 14, 1948. And when Ben-Gurion made speeches, he would make his point like this. I know Uganda has beautiful rivers, but it does not have a Jordan River that our God rolled back. I know Uganda has beautiful mountains, but it doesn't have Mount Carmel where Elijah called down fire from heaven. I know Uganda has wells of fresh water, but it doesn't have water that comes from the wells of Bethlehem. 
And his speeches ignited passion in the people. And God gave them back their holy land. They could have settled for the Uganda plan. I pray this president keeps his word. And puts our embassy in Jerusalem instead of Tel Aviv. How many of you have settled for the Uganda plan in your life? Some have settled for a spouse who was unsaved. They're not an equal yoke. God's design. Settling for less than God's best. God has a plan, and God has an A plan plus for you, not a B plan. There is the good and the acceptable, but then there is the perfect will of God. Don't settle for the Uganda plan when God says, you're headed up to Jerusalem. I will give you the place of my glory. Don't settle for less. And David and his men looked up at that mountain, the city of the Jebusites. On top of the mountain was a 40-square-mile parcel that had been flattened, surrounded by huge walls, impregnable, no way in. But David's eyes fell on a weakness. The weakness was a tunnel, a gutter, a water shaft. David said, it's 20 inches high. It's still there today, by the way. And David said to the first man who gets up that gutter, have you ever cleaned out the gutters around your house? Is it a fun job? You need gloves. There's slime and sludge and twigs and mud and pigeon mess in your gutters. And David thought, I don't care how I get in there. If I have to go through the gutter, I'm going to get in there. And to achieve the mission, God's glory, whatever it takes, no sacrifice too great. Next generation, I would love to say to you, we're just going to hand it all over to you. But the only way for the next generation to get to the purpose that God has for you, you will fight your way through the gutter also. Through the slime and the sludge and the mud. Do you see the pictures that they post of our military? They'll take snapshots of them when they enter the military or at certain promotion times, and they have their pictures taken, the American flag behind them, and their dress blues, and every medal and patch is in perfect place. But take the picture of them when they're returning from outside the wire. Come with me to Jalalabad, where our special operators are coming back from a day out on a mission. Let's take the picture then when they're dirty and they're sweaty and they're filled with scuffs all over their boots and blood on their, on their uniforms. Listen, you, you realize that what to, to accomplish the mission, it takes sacrifice. God gave them the green light. Go take that city. So through the gutter they went. They climb up four. They slide back two through the dirt and through the slime and through whatever else was in that water tunnel. Calvary, don't settle for Hebron when God promised you Jerusalem. Don't settle for plan B when God said, I will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Hebron is what you can do. Jerusalem is only what I can do. It will get ugly and it will get dirty and it will not be easy. And if it were, anyone would be able to go up and take it. But guess who the first one was up that water shaft? An old warrior named Joab. And he said, I've waited for this all of my life. 
get behind me, you young guns. I'm going up first. And up the shaft he went. Now watch. When he popped up, he looked back and he smelled bad. He was messy. He looked horrible. He looks all around. And in he goes to the city. And there was not one Israeli casualty when they took the city. Because of the threats of the adversary, they found out there were nothing but a big bluff. And he finds the blind and lame dummies and he pitches them over the sides of those walls and he raises his hands in victory and he declares, God has given us this city. And the enemy will bluff you and tell you you're not strong enough. You're not mighty enough. No one in your family has ever done this. Settle where you are. But God's calling us together to expanded ministry to higher places. Calvary, we will not settle. And there are lying spirits that scream from those walls. You can't do it. Stop. You've done more than anybody expected. Don't attempt anything greater than you have. Be careful. Don't take any risks because you might lose everything. Not if it's God's will and purpose, we won't. Devil, what you don't remember. Years ago, I took the head of Goliath and ran to the city of Jerusalem and I buried it in the hill called Golgotha. David dragged the head of that giant for 18 miles out of the valley of Elah to the city of the Jebusites. And there he buried it in the hillside outside the city that one day would be called Jerusalem. Why? Because in Genesis 3, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And Jesus was crucified at the very place where the head of Goliath was buried. And it's called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Why? Because that's where the skull of Goliath was buried. So when they raised Jesus up on that cross and they nailed his feet, that was the bruising of his heel. When the thud of the cross went into the earth at Golgotha, listen, the place of the skull, Jesus crushed the skull, the head of Satan. Satan now is crazy. He's got brain damage. He sustained a massive head injury at Calvary. The scar still remains. And no matter what the enemy is saying to you, the stronghold of addiction, the stronghold of sexual misconduct, he says, the enemy says, you will never bring it down. It's in your DNA. Because of the cross of Jesus, cross has crushed the head of the serpent and his seed and there is victory in Jesus there's power in the cross there's power in the blood of Jesus you can be free you can be delivered strongholds will come down and God will raise you up victory comes in strange places the dirtiest battles of your life will produce the greatest victories the city of the Jebusites became the city of David. And when Jesus showed up in the city of David, 1,500 years later, as he went about doing good and healing the sick, they would cry out, have mercy on me, 
son of David. And he healed them. The reason it became the city of David, 1,500 years later, Jesus was crucified on that hill, Golgotha, outside the walls. Jesus was buried in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. But on the third day, even though he had to walk through the gutter, even though he took on your sin and my sin and our filth, he descended to hell. On the third day, he rose from the dead in Jerusalem, the city of David. One day, Jesus is returning on a white horse. He will touch down on the Mount of Olives and burst through the now sealed eastern gate. And Jesus will sit on his throne in the city of David, conquered by going through the gutter and making it all the way so that we would have total victory in our lives. Because the place of your dirtiest battle will be the place of your greatest victory. If you don't quit, if you don't settle, say, no, you're a liar. And that stronghold you built is coming down. We'll tear you off the walls. No matter what you're facing, no matter how dirty it is, that's the place where God can be glorified doing for you what you cannot do yourself. It's where your greatest anointing will manifest. So how about standing and giving God glory in the house today and expressing to him your faith for plan A, not plan B. Everything you have for us, Lord, I want it all and nothing less. Like Caleb, give me that mountain. Give it to me. It was promised me. I'm taking it. 40 years later, I'm back and I want it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come on, saints. Is that all you got? Is that it? How about some warriors? How about some battlers? How about some special operators? Say, we're not afraid to get dirty or bloody or scraped up or injured even take out the adversary. We're going to have liberty.